the human heart yearns for the significance. And so materialists have invented their own kind of spirituality that if you get it, you get material complicated enough and spirituality emerges or supervenes on, as philosophers say, supervenes on the material. Right. So they're, they're wanting spirituality so badly, and there's really no good scientific basis for this, this hope that computers could one day become conscious. But materialists like to tell these stories because it, it's just, I mean, look, if I were a materialist, that's a pretty cool story. I mean, right. it's, it's fun to think about that, right? And to think that maybe one day my uh, brain and its activity could be uploaded to a computer, and I could be at least conditionally immortal, as long as they keep the hardware running and no one unplugs me, right? And welcome back to the Lucas Scrobot Show, where we uncover purpose, relentlessly pursue truth, and own the future. I'm your host, Lucas Scrobot, and we are talking with Dr. Michael Keyes. And we've, if you are just joining us now and you haven't heard the first half of our conversation where Dr. Keyes breaks down uh, this ET enlightenment myth. Um, we didn't actually touch on the AI myth, but it's all kind of wrapped up into this idea that these these myths that have been fed to us um, really just could not possibly physically happen because of one, scientific laws that we know, and two, how far the stars are away from us. But we're we're continuing the conversation where we're looking at spirit spirituality and uh, the physical realm, materialism. And we're going to continue asking how these two interact. So Dr. Michael Keyes, thank you again for being here. And to pick up the question from last time, how do you see these two interacting? When, you know, I have friends and, you know, I, I grew up in a place where the spiritual realm was very normal. You know, it was normal when someone died. It was, well, that was witchcraft. It was it was normal to hear of people um, shape-shifting and being able to travel places. This level of witchcraft was was a, a normal occurrence um, where I lived. I grew up in Papua New Guinea. Um, and, and, but in nowadays, you know, we believe that nothing happens without a natural cause, right? This is what's being taught. But yet at the same breath, we believe in demons. We believe in hexes. We believe in curses. We're, we're looking at tarot cards and Ouija boards. Um, can all those things have a negative impact on our health? And do some of our health ailments actually spring from spiritual sources? Yeah, you know, again, Lucas, since I'm, I'm a historian of science and a philosopher of science and how it relates to religion. I often bring up history. Um, okay, in the, uh, the Cosmos series hosted by Neil deGrasse Tyson, this uh, that just finished uh, on National Geographic Station, he claimed that science, the medical science, has replaced traditional religious views that God caused this or, you know, God caused this or some demon caused this uh, ailment. And he says that that was just superstition. Now we know better. It's just natural causes. Um, and he says that he claimed that people in the ancient world only believed in supernatural causes of, of illnesses. But uh, when you look at the actual history of medicine uh, in the ancient world, there were, uh, you know, and, and both uh, Jewish, Christian, uh, Greek, uh, pagan Greek, you know, all uh, Babylonian, you find massive evidence that most of these cultures realized or at least believed that there were multiple causes for illness. There were natural causes, which medicine addresses, 
And there were different kinds of supernatural causes of illnesses, whether it be God, demons, or humans who are engaging in magic or witchcraft. And uh, so just because, so when someone is ill, again, throughout the history of humanity, most cultures entertain multiple possibilities and try to evaluate them to what degree is, you know, maybe this is only natural causes. Mm. Maybe it's a combination of natural and supernatural causes. And so I think that's, that shows an open-mindedness on the part of humanity overall across many cultures to entertain many possibilities. So, so to try to just artificially say, well, now we know better, that's just not true. I mean, there, there are, uh, we there is good scientific evidence that an intelligent designer exists. And if you look at uh, the history, historical evidence, did that designer, uh, you know, uh, make any contact with us through, uh, well, you know, as a Christian, I think he did through Jesus Christ. But, um, and Jesus healed people. And sometimes they were physical ailments from natural causes. Sometimes they were demonic forces that were involved. But Jesus could deal with any of those because he is the one who upholds the very integrity of natural laws, according to the Bible. He's the one who, uh, there's a scripture that says he holds all things together. That is, natural laws themselves are based in the power of God to sustain that. So religion and science have interacted throughout their history, and they need not be at odds. And there's really no nothing about modern science that says, oh, we don't need God anymore. That's just not the case. Do you, do you think that, there needs to be kind of said the antithesis of that sentence that modern science um, does need God does need kind of that spiritual um, in bringing. I mean, you know, you look at the, the level of opiates that are used in the States and the level of medication that's used mm -hmm. um, in the States to treat um, psychopathic disorders. And, and you have to stop for a moment and wonder like, well, you know, is, is there, is there something else going on upstairs in that person's head besides just a chemical imbalance or is there such a thing as, you know, demonic oppression, even in the Islamic tradition, you know, all, all of my friends, they're, they're, they definitely, they're believing in hexes. They're believing in, uh, they, they have, they view their spirit realm a little differently than we do. They view it as jinn, which is good jinn, bad jinn, and there's also like the shaitan or demons. So, but they too, you know, they're, they're afraid of the evil eye. So very superstitious. If you, you wouldn't say your child's so cute, you would say mashallah, which is, you know, what God has willed. Um, because if, if you don't, you're going to put a hex on your child, you put the evil eye of jealousy. And so where, where can we find that meeting ground? I mean, obviously most of us aren't sitting you know, as legislators or over the head of of hospitals that we can make these sort of decisions. But from, from bringing it back down to a personal applicable level, how can we then frame our worldview in, in a correct way? Yeah, let's let's take up the case study of mental illnesses. And because uh, that's a great uh, topic to relate science and religion, Lucas. Um, I have a colleague at Biola University where I teach part-time named J.P. Moreland, and he has a book called Finding Quiet, mm. where he talks about his own um, um, path of healing in his own uh, anxiety and depression. He's a first-rate philosopher, and he's also dealt with science and religion issues throughout his career. And he concludes that, that humans are both material creatures 
creatures and spiritual creatures. And so when you have mental illness, there often is both a physical component to it and a spiritual component. You don't want to exaggerate either side or, or eliminate either side of the, the coin that oft, often it's both. So you, so for example, a person may temporarily need psychotropic drugs. And then as they um, engage in spiritual disciplines of, 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 of uh, meditating on scriptures uh, that bring peace and, and dealing and, and things like that, which he actually has very specific uh, meditation techniques in his book. He thinks that the two together uh, are the most powerful solution to many of these uh, um, conditions that people struggle with, anxiety, depression, particularly, which he struggled with. And he's found a lot of healing through both uh, 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 careful use of prescribed drugs from a, from a, a doctor who knows what he's doing, uh, as well as uh, spiritual disciplines. And I think he's right about that. And, and that reflects the overall science and religion thesis that I'm presenting today, and that is the two need to be held together, that, that they work in harmony with each other. And we don't want to be uh, superstitious about every little, you know, evil eye and all this kind of thing. A lot of that isn't true, but, there, but it's also true that there could be demonic activity behind some of this uh, traditional uh, sort of um, tribal sort of approach to, to illnesses where there's a lot of references to spirits and so on. Some of that might be actual real demons. Part of it might be just uh, humans make believing it uh, and affecting, still affecting their psychology. You know, if you have a lot of fear about the spiritual realm. So I'm all about cool reasoning and both about science and religion to bring harmony of both our bodies and our souls. And I think that's the most promising personal story I could tell you is from my colleague, J.P. Moreland, who I've known for years. I know he's a very mm. credible, intelligent man who's dealt with this kind of subject. I, I like how, how you framed it, how it's e cool reasoning, not just e emotional kind of uh, lurching, but looking at something from a reasonable perspective, holding mm. both truths in tension, holding the truth of, well, we are spirit beings. And, you know, going back to the, the whole ET conversation, what you're saying is that, well, if these things are happening, and I think there's enough credible, there's enough literature out there to say that something's happening. It's not just someone wanting to, you know, a couple of weird people out there trying to get some attention. There, There's enough credible stories out there to say, okay, something is going on. But you're saying th the more rational, more rational viewpoint would say, rather than we, we just live in a material world and these are extraterrestrial beings, the more rational viewpoint would say, well, actually we have, we're spiritual beings and we live in a spiritual and natural world. And these are spiritual mm -hmm. beings that are interacting with us. And, and again, not extrapolating that to every instance, but being right. rational about it and realize, well, actually some people are actually schizophrenic, but some of those schizophrenic people might actually be encountering, um, demonic spiritual activity is is that a, exactly. a fair way of putting it exactly and just like when it comes to ufos some of them are just illusions they're um tricks of the eye and they're there has nothing to do with spiritual beings some of them might be spiritual beings um especially some of these abduction stories that a large percentage of which are highly sexual um it doesn't and and, and there's this odd thing that's that that uh, that those who are christians who've had these encounters 
they, some of them report that when they invoke the name of Jesus Christ, suddenly these aliens leave. Now, why would aliens be afraid of a, of some <laughs> first century teacher named Jesus Christ? You know, why would they be afraid yeah. of that name? Uh, that just doesn't make sense. So, but, but again, so there's a whole range of explanations and I would take them on a case by case basis and, and, if anyone makes a claim, I would say, well, how do you know that? What, what evidence do you have? And, and that's the way I in, uh, evaluate both religious and scientific claims, Lucas. I, I like that. Now, a, a little bit of a change of subject, but you spent time behind the wall b- before it fell down studying in, in East Berlin. C- can, you, can you share a little bit about that? And, and I, I feel like it's going to, in, in some ways, tangent actually into this conversation. But what was it like those times be, behind the wall? Yes, um, I lived there the last year before the wall came down. And there were still people getting shot trying to get from East Berlin to West wow. Berlin. Uh, and I crossed the border many times because we'd go sh- shopping in West Berlin because, you know, the groceries, the selection was way better than in the East. But so I saw uh, the fruit, the bad fruit of bad ideas, communism, and which was based on materialism that there is no God. And it, it, um, it, uh, I mean, East Germany at the time was one of the most prosperous communist countries in the world, uh, besides Russia. Wow. But, wow. but compared to the West, they were way behind. And so again, bad ideas have bad, uh, bad implications and bad consequences in the way people actually, the quality of life that you live. And so, yeah, I think that that's why I'm so passionate about, uh, you know, teaching college students, which I did for a quarter century. Now I'm mainly a full-time author and looking now to a larger audience. And I'm just trying to help people to think critically, rationally, and to realize that, that they're, um, oh, back to the spiritual element of the Berlin Wall coming down. Um, there's a book called Revolution by candlelight that explains how Christian churches prayer vigils with candles in 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 the in the large uh, town squares throughout East Germany at the time helped to bring about one of the most peaceful revolutions in the history of the world. There uh, there was very few people hurt in the in the transition. The communism came down in the in Germany and and it was amazing. And uh, there was a spiritual element to that. Now there were also political and economic and all other factors involved in that mm. transformation. And again, it's, it's, I, as a historian, I explain any event in terms of multiple possible causes and, and there are spiritual elements and there's political, you know, physical and economic as well. That explains why that big tr- transformation happened. And now who knows what's going to happen next, you know, with all the things that are happening in the world, but you histor- history at least helps you to get a better grip on the con- kinds of explanations that that have been plausible to explain things in the past, and then we can apply that to current events. And you mentioned that that communist is based communism is based on materialism. And it, you've talked about this before, um not on this episode, but you you've spoken about how one of the the big problems that you see, with this materialism that leads to this AI enlightenment, you know, singularity, which we don't have time to discuss on on, on this episode, but you lay out the claim um, in your book that the singularity is impossible because it's based on this idea that uh, computers would be able to function with higher level frameworks, which they're not able to do, but they're able to solve 
individual problems. But I digress. Yeah. Um, you 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 talk about how all of this then le- is leading to um, the an increased purchasing of sex robots where you can program them, where you can simulate essentially a rape on a robot, mm-hmm. which is this dehumanizing, which it mm-hmm. seems like it's it's following in, in a similar pattern of Marxism, of communism, of this materialism. And is this just is the the underlying current that we see in materialism and in this idea that the quote unquote truth is out there and it's aliens or it's technology enlightenment, is that really just another Marxist push that rewrites the textbooks so that they can implement um, kind of a, a unique, different moral code that dehumanizes um, individuals? I mean, it, although Marxism was was making the claim that it was about liberation and that this uh, had an iteration in, in South America, liberation theology was trying to combine Marxism and Christianity, they, they're wanting to liberate people. There is this yearning to be liberated from oppression. That's, you know, it's a human trait. And of course, there's different proposed solutions to the human predicament of suffering and pain and and um, and the way people in power often abuse their power. And well, the, the kind of uh, myths that I deal with in my book, the, the one about technology on earth, even if it doesn't come from the skies, what about our own technology? Could, could our own computer technology ever sort of wake up one day and become conscious? Well, that's, that's been a popular theme in science fiction for a long time of our computers becoming so complicated they could wake up and become conscious. But if you're a materialist, you're inclined to believe that story, regardless, even though the evidence shows it's very unlikely. Because if you're, in, it, if you're a materialist, essentially that means that we are just a biological computer and that we're nothing more than a biological computer, right? Exactly. So according to the materialist uh, grand narrative, uh, material has become conscious at least once already in the case of humans. Right. If we're just pure, purely material uh, um, objects that happen to have wet meat hardware instead of, you know, computer hard, right. dry hardware. Uh, if it's already happened once, why not happen again uh, with, uh, compu- you know, so that computers would sort of wake up, become conscious. And then maybe our, our, our new savior story then from that would be maybe that maybe aliens won't bring it. Maybe our own technology will one day wake up and become right. super intelligent. Right. And that will be our savior. But, the, but, but the, and the two myths actually intertwine as I, as you know, in my book, but yeah, I, I think it is materialism has a hard time of just staying with, with um, oh, well, there's no spiritual significance to us. It, it, the human heart yearns for the significance. And so materialists have invented their own kind of spirituality that if you get it, you get material complicated enough and spirituality emerges or supervenes on, as philosophers say, supervenes on the material. Right. So they're, they're wanting spirituality so badly and there's really no good scientific basis for this this hope that computers could one day become conscious but materialists like to tell these stories because it it's just i mean look if i were a materialist that's a pretty cool story i mean right. it's it's fun to think about that right and to think that maybe one day my uh, brain and its activity could be uploaded to a computer and i could be at least conditionally immortal as long as they keep the hardware running and no one unplugs me right right <laughs> well and it it, it it ties back into that narrative of 
God or of man trying to become godlike. And, and you see it in different archetypal stories, whether it's, you know, going back to, to the universe or, you know, uh, uh, becoming in, enlightened and in, in becoming, you know, uh, what's the word? Coming uh, into nirvana and um, yeah. reincarnation, mm-hmm. and it plays really nicely into the the evolutionary archetypal story that we're now having this conscious revolution or evolution. It's no longer a physical evolution, but it's a it's a conscious evolution mm-hmm. where our brains become connected and we become one. And, and you know, this is what this is what people are talking about. I mean, I just listened to an episode from Joe Rogan literally said literally the same words that their technology will be like magic and we will, mm-hmm. you know, all evolve into this higher level consciousness. Um, and it's, mm-hmm. it's really pervading society. So in, in closing my, my question, Dr. Keys would be, would be this, how, and you've touched on it, which is the, the rational thought the the testing and trying of ideas of seeing well is this plausible is it testable can we rationalize this um but how can we as as individuals work to frame our worldviews so that we're not falling into um in our own personal small life these these travesties and these these bad consequences that bad ideas like communism or Marxism or materialism or, or evolutionary biology, um, ET enlightenment might have, how can we, what are some practical tools that we can implement to begin to safeguard ourselves from some of those things and and see the world, um, in a more accurate way? Sure. Um, I think the first thing is avoid groupthink, uh, avoid just, oh, well, this is the, this is a popular thing or it's a majority viewpoint among scientists or among mm. whatever group of people you're talking about, whatever group of scholars. So if it's the majority opinion, it must be right. Um, g- truth is not uh, detected by just doing a survey of what s- certain scholars in a certain field think. Truth is detected by carefully examining the truth claims and seeing is how likely is it that that's true? Um, and whether that's a, a religious claim or a scientific claim, um, I think that you need to use your critical thinking skills. And I taught logic and critical thinking as well as science and, and also uh, even the, 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 um, the field of hermeneutics, which is uh, how you interpret a text. I taught literary hermeneutics and, and I applied it specifically to biblical interpretation, but also to other, uh, other books out there. And there are rational ways of coming up with the most likely interpretation of a text, whether it's a political text or religious text or whatever, what's the most likely thing that the the author intended? And the same thing in science. Um, What's the most likely explanation for this this event? Is Is it a series of natural causes or is it natural and supernatural? And I think you have to, uh, you just have to, often you have to think outside the box of what, is considered politically correct or considered, you know, the majority viewpoint. But don't just go with any minority viewpoint. Go with where the evidence leads. Follow the evidence where it leads. And uh, the two websites that your listeners might want to go to, uh, discovery.org, discovery.org, and uh, particularly the Discovery Institute's Center for Science and Culture, which I'm a fellow of, got great resources um, 
to uh, think critically about science and uh, culture, including religion. And also another organization that I'm on the board, I'm actually on the board of is Ratio Christi. Uh, that's R-A-T-I-O, Ratio, the Latin word for reason, and Christi, uh, of course, Christ, the reason of Christ. Ratio Christi is an, um, a group, it's an international uh, uh, consortium of campus, university campus clubs where students, university students of many religious and non-religious perspectives can get together and talk about the kinds of things that we've talked about today, Lucas. And, um, and so uh, that there, um, most of these clubs are in the U.S., but we're, uh, there's more and more of them appearing in different parts of the world. So, but there's a website, ratiochristi.org, uh, R-A-T-I-O, and then Christi, Christ with an I on the end. Uh, that's a good place to go for other resources regarding religious claims, evaluating them critically. So that would be good for RussiaChristie.org, good for evaluating religious claims, and Discovery.org for evaluating a scientific, as well as uh, some of uh, Discovery Institute centers also have to do with political uh, questions as well. So th- those would be good resources I'd recommend. Thank you, Dr. Keyes. And your book is unbelievable and really is is an unbelievable read i it was pleasurable i enjoyed it very entertaining um stories throughout the whole thing and the link to that of course is in the show notes dr michael keys thank you so much for being with us on the show today really appreciated it it's been fun to talk with you lucas take care take care that is all for our conversation with dr michael keys but we're going to take a couple minutes, uh, 10 minutes, and debrief and unpack some of the things that stuck out to me, some of the things that uh, I felt and thought about the episode. Starting off, this was a, a very difficult episode for me to figure out how to thread to thread the needle on and which what's the entry point on this. I was talking to my wife um, before the show saying, where do we start? How, how do we get there? Um, and I felt like we did it. I felt my my execution of it was a little bumpy, but the way that I see this all this whole thing, it's it's like a a, a big ball of yarn that is folded in up upon itself, and it's hard to figure out where where do you start with with a topic so big as this of of AI and singularity and ET and this conspiracy theory and well magic and the occult and then and then we're talking about materialism and dualism and evolution we're we're talking about guys like C Arthur Clarke and and Neil Tyson and and there's just all these different we're talking about history going back to to Greeks and Romans and there's this huge picture that we have to zoom way, 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 way out to be able to have a, a rational vantage point. And probably I like you, I, I was hoping we get, you know, deep into the conspiracy theories, but, but in reality, conspiracy theories, they don't lend themselves to fruit or to peace or to uh, soundness of mind. Conspiracy theories are going to lend ourselves to anxiety. It's going to lend ourselves to fear. It's going to lend ourselves to um, having fruitless, worthless, having these conversations that are eating up a lot of our emotional energy and detracting and, and, and distracting us from the things 
that truly matter in our life. Now, I love a good conspiracy talk just as much as the next person, but I think um, I think I really liked Dr. Keyes's uh, final kind of charge to us, and it was threaded throughout it. It was, you know, he he, he would talk about well, you know, when I think of uh, Bob Lazar's story, you know, I I look at it and I say, well, is that plausible? Is that testable? Can we actually take it out and and look at it, or is it hidden in the dark and and there's no way to really figure out if this happened or if this has, didn't happen? And you know, as I was researching for this episode over the last few days, um, reading his book and r- reading all this other literature, listening to other like the, the Joe Rogan's episode um, with Bob Lazar. You know, it's you can get so deep into it, but I I began looking on Wikipedia about this Lazar guy and what he talks about, element 115. And all of a sudden you start reading and you find out that, wait, this was this element was used in science fiction literature for years. It has been used in science fiction literature all over the place. And then you look at Bob Lazar and you find out that he was arrested for prostitution. He was he was arrested for illegally moving chemicals across state lines. You know, so it, you you have to look at a person's character as well to be able to judge. Okay, is this an upstanding citizen, or is there some shade going on? And I can tell you, it seems that there's some shade going on with this character. And and even if there wasn't shade. We can bring it back down and say, okay, one, is this is this plausible? Uh, probably not. Is this testable? Definitely not. Um, and even I think a more plausible argument would be, well, the government has developed this incredible technology um, that we just don't know about yet. Especially in light of when you pair it with the fact that we live in a galactic habitable zone that is so rare that the placement of the earth is so rare that that in order for another earth-like place that could inhabit life you would need a, a jupiter-like planet also in its orbit you'd need a, a, a sun that's the right distance away you'd need the the tilt of the earth at the correct angle everything points to the fact that we have been intelligently designed and placed here for a specific purpose, reason, and meaning, which is why each and every one of us are searching for what? Purpose and meaning. We're searching for that. I'm I'm hungry. I'm searching for that too. Every day I, I wake up and I have to go back to the source and, and say, what's my identity? Who am I? What's my purpose? And when you when you look into materialism and you look into evolution and all these things happening by by happen chance, you say, well, you know, there goes there goes purpose. It's just all random. We're just random meat computers. And there is some far off evolutionary, you know, being that couldn't possibly get to us because we're so far away. And we couldn't even have communication with them because it would take 1,200 years, and he talks about in this book, to have one communication with alien ET life somewhere out there in the universe. 
the closest one in, in those 4,000 planets so in that zone to talk to them, it would take a hundred generations, a thousand, a thousand years to have one back and forth communication. So the odds of that, the odds are that of, are so low. So then when we take that and we bring it back into uh, reality, and we remember that, oh, wait, I forgot that I'm superstitious. I forgot that I believe in demons. I forgot that I had an, an encounter with a spirit once. I forgot that, you know, my uncle Joe or my uncle Muhammad or whoever has this story of this supernatural occurrence. I forgot that I believe in a spirit realm. I forgot that I feel things in the spirit realm around me. When we bring it back to, to the reality that each and every one of us know, even if we believe that we just evolved from apes, which I don't believe, but even if we believe that, we still have this other part of us that knows that we have a spirit, that we have a soul, that we are not just flesh and blood, but we have a spirit. And we're actually going to be talking about that and some, with some neurosurgeons in the week to, weeks to come. Um so when we come back to that point, then we have to look at that worldview again and say, okay, well, if these things are happening and it couldn't, it couldn't be extraterrestrial life, or if it was, I mean, the, the, the chances of that happen are, are so minuscule. And, and the fact that, you know, it's still hidden somewhere for some reason, they don't want to contact everyone. And then we put it into a framework of, well, there's the natural world and there's spirits. And then we look at all the, the, the UFO occurrences. We look at how they all play out and we say, wait a minute, this sounds familiar. Oh yeah. It sounds like, it sounds like demonic spiritual activity. That is as if it is magic. And that is what they say. That is what all these scientists say, that it will be indistinguishable from magic. And when we look at white magic and black magic across the world, we see that these amazing, uh, mostly bondage, but these these supernatural things happen. We, we see it in our movies, in Harry Potter and, and in, in uh, the Twilight movies. We see these supernatural archetypal stories that in, in, at some level we believe because we know people who have had those encounters and had those experiences. So I think once we bring it back to that and then we we reanalyze some of these stories that were that were that are happening right now, I think we can then frame it in the okay, this tick tick tack, you know, UFO. Well, that could be government or it could be spiritual activity but it's not likely to be et we look at some of this technology that supposedly is out there that's ancient and alien well maybe may, maybe it is some extraterrestrial uh transdimensional being technology but transdimensional being is just another word for a demon i, I mean if if you're listening this far, you've you've probably heard a lot of Joe Rogan stuff and and Alex Jones ranting about 
and and Alex Jones and uh, Joe Rogan as well ranting about going on these these acid trips and these DMT trips and having these group encounters where portals open and elves and warlocks come out. Those are that that all comes from from ancient demonic mythology. It's all there. And so when we look at these, when we frame it in that spiritual framework and say, okay, well, maybe these are trans-dimensional beings. And then we reframe it and say, well, what are these trans-dimensional beings? Are they good or are they bad? What's the source and the root of them? As Alex Jones says, and I cannot believe I'm quoting him on this podcast. As Alex Jones says, if you go out and search for it, it's going to start off looking good. It's going to start off as this angel of light. And then before you know it, it's going to turn. It's going to have you in bondage. But if it comes and if if it encounters you, often it is actually from a good source. And we have to test those sources. We have to test this the spiritual sources to know where it comes from. Otherwise, it will lead us into grave, grave, grave danger. But I digress. I want to come back to to the the meat of it all and the, the end charge, which is one: avoid groupthink. We have to avoid groupthink. We can't just go with the masses. And we've been we've been saying this: if we want to own the future, we have to know our purpose. We have to know the truth. And as he said, the truth is not just a survey, and the truth is not just. What my experiences, and if you listen to the episode with Big Haas a little a little bit ago last week, we talked about how I may have an experience, but it doesn't necessarily mean that experience is the truth. You may have an experience in your life, and you may say, well, that's my truth. Well, no, that is an experience that maybe happened, but that does not necessarily define you. That does not necessarily mean that that is the truth of the world, the truth of the universe. So we have to find truth. And then and then once we take a claim or we take a thought, we have to analyze that. When, when a thought materializes in our minds, we can't just say, oh, that's a thought. Grab it. That must be true. Remember, we talk about this. Watch your thoughts. It's right over here. Watch your thoughts. Right there. Why? Because our thoughts become our emotions, our emotions become our actions, and our actions become our habits and our behaviors and our realities. It becomes our realities. And so we can't just take any thought that comes up into our mind and say, okay, that's truth. That's my truth. Well, I thought this, I was falling asleep one night and this thought popped into my mind. That must be truth. There it is. No, we have to then take that we have to take that thought, that essence, and then say, okay, well, is this true? And we have to then lay it against the framework that we know and ask questions, find critical questions, critical thought, and, and say, okay, if I brought this thought and extrapolated it out, what will the consequences of this belief be? And this is what we talk about. If we want to own the future, we have to know the consequences of what we believe. And that's what we touched about when he was behind uh, the wall and on the East, East German side. The consequences of, of communism, the consequences of Marxist ideology, the consequences of material ideology, the consequences 
of the consequences of evolutionary ideas and the toxicity it has and how it erodes the human value and erodes our morality and it erodes us as human beings. It, it takes away our, our identity, our purpose, and our meaning because life is then meaningless. And that has led so many people that I talk to into that nihilism, into that depression, because their life has become meaningless because it has not been birthed out of purpose. But I want to tell you today that our lives were birthed out of purpose, that you have a purpose, that you have an identity, that you are placed here for a reason and a meaning. And that is, starts with us. It starts with taking us and looking inside of us and finding those, those dark places to overcome. And it starts with looking outside of us to objectively find a, a true framework of living within the world. And that's what we do here at Own the Future. That is why you are here. That is why I am here. And I am just so glad that we get to do this together. I'm so glad that we get to do this together. That is all that we have uh, for this surprising episode. Oh, one, one last point, myth. We talked about myth and archetypal narratives. And, and we always talk about, you know, before, uh, for the longest time, the the tagline for the show is if you own your story, you will own the future. If you look at what the materialists did, they owned the story. They rewrote the story to change history. They put it into to textbooks. They put it into every textbook. They 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 made laws to say if you teach anything other than Darwinism, well, you can't have that in your curriculum. Right? So they own the story. And they're shaping the future. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like a lot of nihilism right now. It looks like a lot of depression. It looks like a lot of people who are without purpose. And so just like us, we need to know what is the archetypal narrative that we believe? Not up here, but down here. What is the archetypal narrative, the way that we view the world, the framework that we view and live within the world? Because those ideas will have either good or bad consequences. And I want to see you have good consequences for your life. So thank you for being being here today on the show. It means so much to me. Please, if you have a question that you want to get answered on the show, whether from this episode or any other episode, or even not from an episode, you're like, you know what, Lucas, I've always wondered this. Please What's at me at plus one two zero two nine two two zero two two zero. That's right. What's at me? Send me a WhatsApp at plus one two zero two nine two two zero two two zero, and we will for sure, for sure, answer it here on the show. Finally, please tell your friends. Tell your friends about the show because guess what? You don't want to leave them in the dark either. They too are searching for purpose and meaning and destiny. And this is a place that we find and uncover our purpose, find truth, and own the future, pursue our destiny. So that's all for today. I'll see you next week. Go out and own the future.